Well, Brent is gay, and Caitlin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Valentine's Day, it's Homo Superior. Issue 175. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I'm Caitlin. I'm Clark. And I'm Brent Wingate. Uh, we've got a packed week. Uh, we're going to continue our celebration of Black History Month by talking about some of our favorite Black comic characters. Uh, we've got the big twist from WandaVision Episode 5. We'll talk all about uh, the movie news, TV news, whatever, or comic news. There's no TV news. I lied. And allegations against uh, Josh Whedon and the firing of Gina Carano. Clark's got something. Watch out. There's a level of Valentine's-ness to an edition. And as always, the comic issues. So let's start with our uh, uh, celebration of Black History Month. Uh, this week, we'll be celebrating some of our favorite Black characters. Um, who would like to start? And if no one, I can. All right. I'll, I'll give just it a start, shot. Brent. Um, so I was going to pick, I had two choices. Um, and I was assuming someone else would go first so that I might lose mine. But I'm going to choose one that's a little bit cheating because it's not actually within the original comic series, but I love it so much I don't care. And that's uh, Hooded Justice, um, who in the HBO Watchmen series was retconned, or not exactly retconned, but semi-retconned from the Alan Moore comic to have been a black man uh, uh, playing, doing white face um, and kind of making his debut, uh, the debut as the first superhero. And I think one of the reasons I love it, number one, is just because retcons are so difficult to pull off because they're often used to like fix a story problem or pretend like it didn't exist, or it's a cheap trick for writers to try and kind of surprise the audience. But in this case, I think the TV series rewrote the story in a way that significantly adds to it in a way that I think thematically fits with what Alan Moore is kind of going for. Like making Hooded Justice a black man in white face is like a perfect recontextualization of like the ways in which white culture takes the hard work of black people and then kind of boxes it and pretends like it was their own contribution. Taylor? Um, I love that and I'm mad that I didn't think of that. Uh, and I don't think of it as a retcon because the graphic novel never came out to say who Hooded Justice was. I mean, you had Hollis Mason in his book Under the Hood uh, claiming that it could have been that German wrestler or the German strongman. Um, and um, I just love the way that Damon Lindelof did it. And then the Rorschach comic that is coming out right now uh, basically makes the TV show canon. So it is now in canon. So great, that, that's awesome. Brent, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I was just gonna say, I, the only reason I think of it as a retcon is because it's not actually an official part of the story and jumping across mediums to claim it was, in my mind is retcon, but if it's in the comics, then we're golden. Yeah, so Who's I'll go something? with my, I got something real quickly. Um, mine uh, is, surprise, surprise, a DC character. It's uh, Amanda Waller. Um, and I've mm. always really loved that character uh, because while she has her own sort of moral compass, she is what I call like an anti-hero and she's an anti-hero that has no superpowers. She's not traditionally beautiful, even though they tried to do that when they like 
revamped DC Comics like about 10 years ago. They tried to make her like this like very like buxom, like gorgeous woman. It's like, no, she is a middle-aged black woman. She's heavy set, but she's got like a completely like a, like uh, uh, an iron will and she can like stare down any supervillain, any superhero. I mean, she's taken on Batman for God's sakes. Uh, I think she's such a fucking badass. Yeah, I want right. to add to that very quickly because she was also on my list. But one of the things that I like about her character is it's very easy to make a larger black woman either, you know, a kind of secondary approval character or a stock like generic boss type. Um, and I think that Waller as a character, because of her flaws and because of her tenacity, does a better job of embodying like the strong female character type um, that I think is often missing in a lot of comics, right? So I was thinking about this all week and there's a bunch that stood out in my mind and ones that I really just, I, Darwin was like really someone I wanted to talk about, but I think I landed on Monica Rambeau because of her recent appearance in WandaVision. But to go back to her earlier comic appearances, I really want people to go back and actually read those appearances because she was like literally the leader of the Avengers in the 60s. Like this is remarkable that she did that. She had some great appearances. She kind of like popped in, popped out. I think if you just want kind of a fun commentary on her, I would recommend uh, her appearances in Next Wave, which are hilarious um and then she's sort of maintained since like the later 2000s like uh, a constant role within some sort of avengers team which i really appreciate but i she's so very different than what we're seeing on the tv show and i like both interpretations but like go back and read some of those because it's it's very exciting and it's very it's very interesting actually she she's a phenomenal character and i love that she cannot decide on a name she does not know what she's doing at all. She's like, I'm Spectrum. I'm, I'm, I'm like she can't do anything. I love it. The the oh, second well, one, her second name was just a series of screaming murmurs. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, she was, was also was... Captain Marvel. Hello, Brie Larson. I'm looking at you. Yeah. That was after yeah. other Captain Marvel kept taking her names like every single time. <laughs> Yeah. There's like a weird contracting thing with the <laughs> Captain Marvel name that like, hey, I get it for two years and then the contract's up. So we're going to give it to some white dude eventually. Probably. And then my sister <laughs> will get it after I die. And then she will die. But then yeah, yeah, she yeah. will come back a different version of herself. But she won't be Captain Marvel. She'll be something else. I checked. It's not Will and Testament. So like she doesn't get it. Anyway. Yeah. And these Hollywood contracts are so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> these days. All right, mine is um, Elena Abbott from the series Abbott. Um, she's like a 1970s tabloid um, reporter who is both being tamped down by all of her overlords for being a woman, but also she's in Detroit in like 1972. So it was like white police officers being complete monsters and trying to blame the Black Panthers for every fucking thing. And she's not taking any shit. She's like a heavy chain smoking, bisexual, just like, weirdly aggressive and she keeps coming upon all these different ghosts and shit and it's a really good series and the second mini series um abbott 1973 just came out last week by saladin ahmed so um you should read it all right Brent, who is your second one i'm just out of curiosity second, oh my second one was blade 
Um, oh yeah. Be because I think that, you know, for a lot of people, the, it, the, the movies are so much their vision of that character, but then, you know, from my own personal experience of like going back and reading more of him, you know, I think that like the move, the thing the movie nailed was that, you know, Blade is a badass. He is like a very cool fucking dude. But like in the second and third movies, Wesley Snipes is so high that all you get is like this kind of stoicism that like, like really flattens the character a lot because to me, Blade can be funny. He can be charming and, you know, he can work really well like on his own or in a group, like as a straight man or, you know, with gallows humor. And like, I don't think of him as being quite like someone like the Punisher or Cable that they need to have a foil necessarily that they're kind of interesting on their own. So, you know, I'm kind of excited to, you know, see Marshall Ali play him because I think he can do romantic, he can do humorous and he can also be a fucking tough guy. Um, Actually, why don't we, why don't we uh, skip ahead just a little bit to some of our news because um, it relates to the Blade movie. Um, in some news that sounds like it's great to be happening, but why did it take so long? Writer Stacy Osai Kafour will be writing the upcoming Blade script, which will be the first time a black woman has written the script for a Marvel movie. Uh, Osai Kafour was uh, a story editor and writer for on HBO's Watchmen. Uh, which is a great sign. And apparently it was a very long six month process that involved, you know, the, the uh, casting staff of, um, of Marvel as well as Marshall Ali to find her. Um, and apparently they're going to go through that process again to find a director. Um, what are your thoughts on her involvement in this? Um, does it give you more excitement about the movie? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I until you mentioned it, I didn't realize that she had any involvement with the HBO's Watchmen. Um, and I think that's a great sign. Uh, and I'm glad that um, there are um, there are going to be a lot of black voices on Blade, which is what it should be. Mm -hmm. I definitely think it's a good sign to, you know, increase the writing diversity for Marvel, not just because diversity itself is good, but because, you know, we're we, we, so many of the Marvel movies are really chipper and they're, they're kind of like, they're really polished and shiny and the Blade universe is very dark and, you know, it's kind of full of like shadows. And so having some other perspective on how to blend those two universes together, I think uh, is a good thing. For sure. Um, let's get into some of the big news uh, about WandaVision episode five. So it's super spoiler time. In this episode, it's the 80s for WandaVision family as Billy and Tommy have a growth spurt. Vision learns he's in a town full of hostages. Sword tries to sneak a drone into the hex. And well, the future of the MCU is possibly changed forever. So let's start with the big reveal and work backwards. In the last scene, Wanda's brother, Peter, makes a surprise guest appearance, but it's not the serial killer name Aaron Taylor Johnson from the MCU. It's the discount whiskey name, Evan Peters from the X-Men movies. Theories on what's happening. What does this mean for the MCU? How did you feel when you saw it? Kaylin, start with you. She recast Pietro? You know the thing that makes me really angry about this is <laughs> fucking Adam was right. 
and we made fun of him last week. I'm glad Adam's not here to crow about it. it. Well, exactly. he did say, well, no, what we said is that they would make out, is what we landed on. And both yeah. of them weren't there, you know? Yeah. I don't think we said it. I think that was the porn you watched after the podcast. Okay, well, Adam's not here, so we don't have to worry about it. That's true. Um, so it was a shocking reveal. I definitely, like, my jaw hit the floor. I'm really glad I wasn't spoiled before I watched the episode because I started scrolling on comics Twitter and everyone's like losing their fucking minds. And I was like, oh my God, I've got to just not look at the internet and just watch it. Uh, it's a great reveal, but it makes me kind of worried about what could happen moving forward because I would like to see when they finally introduce the, the X characters, it is a clean slate. And we're not going to get that. We already knew that Deadpool was going to come in, but Deadpool is kind of like a fourth wall breaking character already. So I didn't have as big an issue, but I want all the Fox X-Men stuff to be sort of wiped away and then start anew. And they're, they're hinting with this reveal that that's not going to happen. Ryan? Kalen, I think we're okay because a few different things. I think this is going to be multiverse madness in a lot of different ways. So this is just quick appearances of them. Also, uh, this actor was called Peter in the X-Men universe, and he was called Pietro in this universe. So I think it is a little bit of them trying to figure out how to incorporate the Fox sort of X-Men characters without doing it completely. So I think we're still going to get a full recasting. It's just a, a little nod to it. Hopefully, this is fingers crossed for me because I do think we are still going to get all of our X-Men fleshed out individually. Um, I, it's, it's a lot of fingers crossed because I don't want them to get too convoluted in this world. Brent. There's one thing that might be a, a sign of good hope is that um, I believe it's Jack Schaefer who is the story the showrunner he talks a little bit about this reveal as being you know something that they really wanted but they felt the need to have a very good story structure behind it in order to make it work um and so i think that they realize how much of a gamble it is and that they want to have a good backup payoff for it i think there might be two good ways that you could really work your way out of this which is one, this isn't really Peter, it's Mephisto in a Peter skin. Like this yeah. is something that Wanda didn't summon. Um, and so he could be trying to fuck around with them, pulling from the multiverse that he kind of lives in. Or that, yeah, Wanda may have pulled this Peter in, but like this fictional reality, he isn't, he's a part of it that isn't real. And so when the hex goes away, um, his character will disappear, but it kind of starts moving us into the direction of engaging more in the multiverse. But if we're going down that route, um, in the comics, in the, in the comics, um, we have Billy and uh, Tommy going away in, you know, in suddenly re reappearing. If we're going to have a reappearance with them, would we also possibly have a reappearance of Quicksilver if we do this? Also, no. I was so angry when this happened when when at the when this episode ended i saw the back of his head and i was like fuck no yeah 
I was furious. But also, I think part of why I was like so down on it last week was that I was worried that it might happen because I was I've been thinking about it a lot. Same. Just I, I yeah I don't know I it, it the X Men are the worst That's... movies ever created. They're not, but but in my soul <laughs> they are <laughs> bottom of the barrel garbage that I don't want t- tainting any fucking thing that's been happening with what we've been watching the last what twelve years. Kaylin. So I think the hint was um, the scene or the scenes right before it is when Wanda, Tommy, and Billy are looking for Sparky, the dog that they adopt. And uh, the dog dies. Agnes is holding his very adorable like carcass in her hands. And Wanda explains (laughs) that she... uh, I know, really sad. Wanda explains that she can't bring back the dead. I mean, that is like, that is like, you know, Chekhov's gun, like, foreshadowing 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 subconsciously she wants her brother back she is not over his death uh nor should she be and so because she cannot her powers do not allow her to resurrect uh the dead she's not she's not a necromancer she had to reach out to a different universe and pluck the closest thing to pietra so he's here uh i don't i think mephisto will probably end up being part of it i don't necessarily Think that Mephisto is manifesting himself in Peter slash Pietro. Watch me be wrong next week. Uh, but um, I, they I think... start making out. <laughs> Please. Uh, yeah. And then and then like Amara from the New Mutants comes and like he goes on a date with her. Um, but um, it's it's I think this is like this is going to happen. I have. I'm cautiously optimistic that they'll handle it well. I just really wanted a clean slate. I just did. And like I mostly because like there's so many irritating fanboys out there that are like, well, this is the way they're gonna bring in the Fox X Men, and then yeah. and then Hugh Jackman as Logan comes in. I'm like, oh god, please no, uh, start over from I, fresh, you know, right? I I think what they're trying to do with this is I think they're actually trying to do the opposite of trying to bring in those Fox X Men because they're they're saying to themselves, everyone associates that with the X-Men right now. So let's try to throw one Easter egg in and then say that's a different reality and we're not going to touch that. <laughs> They're in their reality and we're going to be fine. We're only going to bring over Deadpool or whatever. With that in mind, do you think anyone else from the X-Men universe will come in? Maybe a Magneto? Yeah. Maybe I, there's a lot I, out there, a lot of different Magnetos out there. I was just saying, just because of how important she is to play off of um, in Deadpool for um, Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Yeah. Come through. I don't know if, I mean, you know, Colossus is important to that, but I think they'll probably want to do something real with Colossus. Yeah. It's not him. Scrap um, that. I kind of like the fact if we bring over Evan Peters and Deadpool and maybe Teenage Negasonic Warhead and just literally blow up the entire fucking alternate reality. I'd be so fine with it. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> I can, I can deal with. It. Yeah, just, I love that. Just commit mass universal genocide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Patrick Stewart. About it. Patrick Stewart gets to come back for one appearance, going no, and then boom, it's fucking blown up. I would love yeah. that. <laughs> I'm, I'm into it. I'm sold. Right. All right, I want I want to move back a little bit uh, to the kind of rest of the episode. Uh, what were some of your favorite Easter eggs, moments, um, uh, clothing outfits, uh, Kalen? So uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I asked y'all like what '80s sitcom do you think that they would homage 
Uh, I said family ties. I'm really glad that that's what they mm -hmm. went with because that is the quintessential 80s sitcom in so many ways besides the Cosby show. Um, the, 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 the meta commentary I really loved is the way that they aged up Billy and Tommy because that's the shit that would happen in 80s and 90s sitcoms. Like in Family Ties, they had a fourth kid who was a baby in like season five and then they aged up to four years old in season six. I was like, four years didn't pass. Even as a kid, I remember going, wait a minute, what did <laughs> I miss here? Uh, they did the same thing in Growing Pains. Uh, Buffy even kind of commented on it by introducing Dawn, her sister, in season five. Yeah, season five, where they like they brought in like it's like oh the sister that you've never met before she is now part of continuity and then there's an in-story reason why that is. I thought that was so fucking clever and it just made me think of those sitcoms back in the day. I also I decided that. If you gave me like a quiz on different stairs from different sitcoms, I would know it immediately. Mm -hmm. You just show me a picture of some stairs and be like, that's family ties. <laughs> the second it came on and those stairs, I was like, done. I know what this is. Why did every sitcom have two levels? Like, honestly, that like everyone was rich. Jesus Christ. Two, two sets of stairs? Yeah. It it's, shows it was... that it, it's oh, just oh, oh. for... The, you know, because so many sitcoms are family sitcoms and you're like, kids go to bed and, you know, they go up the stairs and it's easier than having to track across multiple rooms. You know what I was thinking the entire time? I was waiting for one of the twins to do some sort of like power. So when Wanda was like, hey, um, I miss my brother, but he's a very far, like he's very far away. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's fucking dead. So I was thinking that Wiccan was actually doing magic or some shit like that because we know that they both have powers. I mean, spoilers ahead, y'all. But like, if you read the comics, you know this is going to happen. So I keep waiting for both of them to show some sort of powers at that point. Brent? Yeah, I mean, there might be something that like, uh, you know, her powers, for whatever reason, this universe don't work on children, which is why she hasn't like created, she doesn't have children who are kind of running around. Um, as was mentioned by Vision. Um, there are two moments that I really hated. Uh, one was uh, Monica is in the doctor's tent and they're like, we need to do some more, pull some more blood to do blood tests. And she's like, uh, no. And then I was like, well, well she, just get, she just gets away with it. No, she was in a fucking weird, crazy, insane temporal reality field. They need more blood from you, bitch. Just fucking give it to them. <laughs> Then the other one was the the director Hayfield. Is that his name? Hayward. Uh, Hayward. Richards. Yeah. When when everyone pointed a gun at him, I laughed so fucking hard because I'm like, Caitlin's right. They're gonna murder this guy. Uh, but when he and um, you were talking, you was like, oh, uh, you know, she's in Sokovia. Oh, you're simplifying a lot. And they're trying to do this like uncomfortable back and forth. And the director says. Uh, she doesn't have any, uh, wait, let's go, hey, let's go back. She doesn't have any aliases. No, none, no ridiculous names or aliases. We got it. We know she's not called Scarlet Witch. We've watched the movies. Shut the fuck up and stop wasting our time with this terrible comedy. Kayla. So until a friend texted me after, I didn't, I completely forgot that they've never called her Scarlet Witch in the movies. I yeah. mandela this situation. I was like, oh, they must have called her Scarlet Witch at some point. I'm like, oh, 
you're right. They never did. It was, yeah. it was a little too unsubtle a moment, but I want to kind of go back to something you said about the kids because there are no other kids in, in this, in this little town. And if you remember in the second episode, when they're having that, like, you know, that, like that talent show, they keep going for the children over and over again in a very creepy Stepford wife kind of way. I'm like, yeah. what is, what is going on here? It was a very, very unsettling moment in retrospect. Um, so there was one part that I wanted to ask about, which was um, Monica was talking about what she would need to get into the field. And she describes this kind of tank. And then they talk about like piloting it. And Monica mentions, oh, she knows an aerospace pilot who would love this job. Who is she talking about, Ryan? The, the limit does not exist. And there's a lot of theories out there. Um, so some are saying Reed Richards. Some are set, like there. It's any scientist that's ever been introduced in the MCU. They're throwing out, but so we. I think that could be because they're saying once again we're going to get another reveal. Sorry, Kalen, for knowing that we're going to get another reveal. But like, I feel like someone else is going to come into it at some point. I know. Yeah, sorry, Kalen. This destroys your no, no, world. Kalen actively said like he was mad that he knew there was a big surprise in the series, and I was like, well, it's a, it's a TV show, but. Caleb, what, what were you going to say? Who do you think? Well, so, so I'm trying to remember, was it another scientist or was it a pilot? Say it again, Brent. It, it, was, a, it was an aerospace pilot, I believe. Yeah. It wasn't an I, engineer. She's, re she's, refer she's referring to Captain Marvel. She's referring to Carol Danvers. Yeah, because she can blow through anything, honestly. And so... She's just like busy texting Carol. <laughs> she's like, so we're I, I'm on Xandar that exploded. Oh, and you want me to walk through this stupid field? Okay, great. No, I, I, I definitely think we're going to get like a Brie Larson um, um, cameo in this show. Maybe. So my, right. I can see it. My favorite point part of the episode was um, when Catherine Hans Agnes just like suddenly stops and realizes she's like, she fucked up and does she need to like redo her lines and everything? Yeah, girl. And yeah. immediately, like, as soon as it drops, you're like, oh shit, oh no. <laughs> And, and Elizabeth Olsen just like being like, I don't care. I'm just going to do magic in front of her. She didn't, she didn't notice when they aged up. So what am I going to do? Like, so like she's getting out of control already when I fucking love it. Speaking of Agnes, um, I love that they kind of recast her as like the horny neighbor. Cause that was very much a trope, you know? And she had that amazing like eighties perm and she's like, you know, I'm just putting a little, you know, uh, lavender in there. It's like whenever Ralph puts it on me, you know, he tries to tame me, but I'm just uh, too much of a tiger in bed. It's like, all right, calm down, girl. Uh, but only good for you. entering a room as her from now on. <laughs> you are her. <laughs> that is, that's just you. That's just I'm you. A witch. Mm. All right. Well, we will have more uh, WandaVision talk next week, as well as when we do our uh, end of season recap. Uh, moving on, it's a news flash. All right, so this is a bunch of comic news. Um, the much anticipated X Corp will be coming out in May 2021. It's going to be written by Teeny Howard, and the art by will be by Alberto Foche. Is that how you say his name right? Oh, sure, sorry if I say it wrong. Uh, are you guys gotcha. all keyed up about this? Are you excited? How do you feel that Teeny Howard is at the helm? 
What are your thoughts? I, I'm I am excited. It, my excitement didn't lower because of Teeny Howard because I think she does good work when it's not about the characters that she was that were shoved into the book. Even though she was like, I really wanted to have you know Gambit and Rogue and stuff, and you're like, why? Because you don't fucking use them the way they should be or at all. But um, when she's writing certain characters, she does really well at it. Characters that actually fit the plot. So obviously these two, um, M and Angel, are going to fit the plot because the plot is about them being in charge of a huge industry that's a you know run by mutants. Uh, Ryan, your face. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. I was making a face. Um, yeah, she's not doing herself a lot of favors right now because she was like, oh, you guys wanted this X Corp uh, book. Well, it was delayed because of me. And I'm like, I'm already <laughs> trying so hard to like your current book. Please don't say that casually, like in an interview. Um, but if she focuses very hard on the characterization of Angel and Monet, and that could be a fucking power couple right there that I kind of I kind of dig them together. Um, mm -hmm. I would like that. And it, and she is great at some guest stars, so hopefully it's guest star galore with this book. All those like like second, third tier characters could pop in to different X Corps. I would love it personally. Taylor, uh, I'm excited for it. Um, and remember, she co-wrote M and uh, Warren at the start of yeah. Ten of Swords. Yeah, and she did a fine job with them. You know, it it's good. hard to tell how much is Hickman, how much is her. But I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about this. And also, um, I just love how each X book has its own identity and how it's just sort of building the world of uh, what it means to be a mutant now in, in the greater Marvel universe. And um, I know we've talked about this before, but like, you know, having an X core book is a great complement to something like Marauders, which is where you have, you know, the Hellfire Trading Company trying to get, you know, pharmaceuticals out there. They're, they need to have like, you know, other ways that like Krakoa is trying to, you know, um, uh, not manipulate, but maybe uh, lobby or influence uh, the business world uh, through uh, very legitimate ways. So can me excited. And the art looks really nice. Some of the preview yeah, the art that we saw. It does. Gorgeous. I am very excited for that. Yeah. So also coming in May, uh, Magic will be leading a team of monstrous mutants known as the Dark Riders. Along with magic, it will be Marrow, Forearm, Shark Girl, Wolf Cub, and Mammo Max. Mm. Who are these folks? All our favorites. And, and uh, kind of dovetailing off Kaylin's point about the books, what kind of service do you think that they will provide to the X-Men world? Clark? Now, this is only going to be a one-issue thing. There probably may exist in other comics, but this is only a part of a three-part miniseries, um, A Man thing miniseries but um i'm very excited as i've mentioned on the, our little uh, whatever what the fuck we call that thing but um that mammal max is going to be in it because he's such a worthless nonsense stupid character that should never existed when he got eaten apart by um whatever that predator, fucking x. Monster, predator x it was a good day for us all but now he's back and being a dumb elephant man again so i'm excited for that um i don't know i it, it M, I mean, Magic leading just like a group of complete shitty losers who she's probably just going to moderately ridicule the entire time because who cares yes. about them um, seems very exciting to me. Uh, Clark, or sorry, Ryan. Um, very excited for this team. 
because they are a, a lot of nonsense people. Um, my personal MVP of like just wanting some redemption was uh, Nicholas Gleason, or as you all know him as Wolf Cub. Yeah. Um, he was last seen in one of the worst X titles of all time called Young X-Men. So I'm glad. Yeah. Oh, and <laughs> yes, I had to look this up. And sure enough, it was mm-hmm. Guggenheim. It was Googies that Googs. really, d- oh God, he, he comes back to bite you in the butt sometimes. But um, he, yes, it was not a good characterization of any of these characters really. Um, so I'm excited to see him get a little spotlight now. Because I loved him from New York Spin, even though he was a background character. Kalen. Uh, so I'm excited that uh, Steve Orlando is going to be writing this this one shot. Uh, he's mostly been doing DC and some indie stuff. And like he's starting to move over to Marvel. Not only does he have this, but he's also doing another iteration of the X-Men in the uh, Heroes Reborn stuff that we haven't had a chance to talk about on podcast. But it's called Mutant Force. And it's a the team of X-Men that's led by Magneto, who's in a wheelchair, a la Professor X. Uh, so, uh, he's queer, he's bisexual, uh, so I'm glad that we're getting more queer voices on X-Books. Yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, Dazzler and Nimrod, aka, uh, Ryan and Adam, are coming to the comics, uh, <laughs> in a story that will feature the Children um. of the Vaults, which was, uh, teased <laughs> earlier in the Dawn of X, it was explored a little, but the Children of the Vault kind of got put on the back burner. Um, how excited f- are you for this? Uh, and how do you foresee these characters, you know, being utilized? Brent, I'll take it from here. Thank you. Um, uh, I will say I'm excited for this, cautiously excited. Um, they always know if you just slap a Dazzler on a, uh, like, any solicitation, they're like, okay, you're going to get some book sales. Oh, <laughs> all the kids are doing it, slapping a Dazzler. It's, but, like, and with Leela Chain, it, like, it, it's very funny that they're just, like, trying to play it up a little bit. But with that all said, I'm worried for the characterization. But will I will I go to my local comic store and buy 78 copies of it? Yeah, and then put it on my wall. Yes, absolutely. So I'm I'm excited. Um, and I, Nimrod coming back is just so stupid. I I just love the name. He makes no sense all the time. He's always got different intentions every time he shows up. It's so stupid. I can't wait to see him again. I'm excited. Kaylin. So uh, I love that uh, the announcement of uh, Dazzler and Leela Cheney like doing, like having a band together is the precursor for a real uh, announcement that we found out about today that Jesse Ware and Kylie Minogue are gonna be collaborating on some stuff. It's like like, uh, the Marvel Universe's own, like, you know, Jesse and Kylie together. Uh, The Nimrod stuff actually really excites me because I wanted them to follow up on some of the, the plot lines from uh, t- uh, powers of uh, powers of ten and House of X uh, from about you know a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, where Nimrod was the big bad of Moira's ninth life when we saw like a hundred years into the future uh, of of like what he could become, and so uh, I- I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited they're bringing like Orcus back uh, into the X books, which we'll talk about when we go into the comics a little bit later on. Uh, but um, yeah. That cover of Nimrod got me very excited. It looks great. Clark? Oh, I mean, with the with the whole Dazzler stuff, we're going to have to suffer. They're going back to the Mojoverse. That's why she's here. So she can do some really lame shit with Longshot because this is all going to be poor writing. And I'm yeah. not looking forward to it for her. Like, and I feel sad for her for having to be 
in this issue. I feel sad for the character as well. Um, you know there's going to be some giant-ass moment where everyone's screaming and blah, 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 and she's like, let me use my sound, and it blows up and everyone dies. <laughs> We're, uh, I'm calling it now. It's going to happen. Ryan, that's like, just you every weekend. Let me use my sound. You blow well, it out. Figure a character that works for you, and I did. <laughs> if they did and, that, if they did that like it was like a procedural drama, like it was like a thing that had to happen every issue, then I would absolutely be so excited for this. Every issue, Dazzler screams, I'm going to save you with my sound. She kind of does, yeah. All right. Uh, so Guardians of the Galaxy has added Doctor Doom to the series. It's being done by Al Ewing. And I forgot to write down this guy's first name, uh, Frigieri. Um, uh, also on the team is going to be Wendell Vaughn, who was the original Quasar, and his replacement, Avril Kincaid, is also going to be on the team. Uh, do you guys think these are great additions to the Guardians? Going to uh, be a my favorite seventeen-person team. Yeah, yeah. My favorite uh, part of the announcement was the objectively terrible way that Al Ewing kind of described Doctor Zoom being included. He said, "Quote." One of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong. What's Dr. Doom doing here and why? There's only one way to find out. Bitch, you're writing it. You know what he's doing there. Stop it, shut up. This is terrible promotion. Kalen. Uh, to play devil's advocate or to take a different perspective, I love it when Dr. Doom is part of anything. So uh, him joining like a bunch of like cosmic based heroes completely fits with the character uh, and I'm glad I'm always happy whenever they take Dr. Doom out of the Fantastic Four like context. Well, I like him there. Like he is so much bigger than that. Um, I yeah, I'm excited. Completely agree. He's probably the best of the Fantastic Four and he's not in it. But like, bitch, he's got superpowers. He's learned magic. Now he's going to space. Like, what else is he going to do? Like, he's done everything. Like, what else is there left for he's him a to do? Triple threat, musical is theater. He is he going to learn swordplay from swordsmen? Like, it's 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 quite insane that he knows, like, everything at this point. I mean, Jack That Walter's middle of the group, that group of five is going to be crazy interesting. I don't really give three shits about Quasar number two. Yeah. But um, Super Scroll and Doctor Doom and Moondragon and Rocket Raccoon just talking to each other is going to be a complete shit show of just complete anarchy. It's going to be glorious to watch. It's like, the, it's like Homo Superior in space. Yeah. In and space, we don't care about Adam, so that's um, Avril Kincaid. <laughs> well, Ryan, I do know the next career move. The next career move for Doctor Doom is for us to find out that he's Thor's mother. Um, I think big, big things are going to happen for him in that way. I, I think he's going to show up everywhere. He's going to like. There's going to be a court proceeding, and he's going to show up in Daredevil's, like, uh, also like his world with like, Judge he, he Doom. <laughs> No, no, no. He's going to medical school because he's tired of people saying PhDs aren't real doctors. That's yeah. true. And Dr. <laughs> yes. Strange is pissed with his broken ass hands. Yeah. Yeah. We find out Dr. Doom this whole time has been a dentist. <laughs> um, okay. So in our last bit of comic news, author Cody Kepler's uh, upcoming DC graphic novel titled Poison Ivy uh, Thorns is set to feature Poison Ivy as a gothic LGBTQIA plus uh, romance characters uh, with, you know, their favorite hero, Poison Ivy. Uh, Sarah Kippen is the artist, and it looks like the book is going to have like a more indie style uh, compared to more traditional superhero comics. 
How do you guys feel about this? Do you want the entire DC universe to be aged down and made gayer? This is, a, this is a gothic romance, right? Not that she's a goth. Yes, it's a gothic romance. I, I tried to write a sentence really quickly and okay. I utilized a quote and then I tried to I, I, paste over it and then you decided to scratch at that pasting in, so we could see the cracks. That's fine. I We're going to replace it with one I of the multiverse. I don't want to see her as a goth. I'm to, I love gothic romance, but I, I do not want to see a goth do anything. Sorry, folks. She is not goth. Kaylin. Well, he put water all over your uh, hot topic there, but no, she's a Visigoth, as in she's going to take on the Roman Empire in the 5th century. Okay. Uh, but no, I, I'm very excited about this because DC has been doing this series of like young adult graphic novels, like recontextualizing characters that we know well and like doing it in kind of like a, like a young adult format. The fact that they're leaning into the fact that Poison Ivy is gay or is queer uh, it's fantastic. You know, she's had this on again, off again relationship with Harley Quinn in the comics, in the in the animated series uh, on HBO Max. And I love that they're they're not shying away from that, even though it's a quote unquote young adult book, because it's not it wasn't too long ago where in any kind of like fiction that was meant for teenagers, kids, tweens, that they couldn't show gay characters because uh, some kind of censor would come in and say, well, you can't show that to children. Well, why not? It's not like they're showing like hardcore sex. It's just, they're showing, you know, somebody who's attracted to the same sex. And we see heteronormative relationships all the time in children literature. And the fact that we're gonna get to see this, um, this makes me really happy. Mm -hmm. I think this looks very interesting. Um, <clears throat> I do wonder, you know, because of how saturated people have been with, you know, traditional like superhero movies, that like a story like this can come along and maybe we'll get more of them like it where, you know, kind of like the Joker, it's almost like you don't really, you're not really telling a Poison Ivy story or you're not really telling a Joker story. You're telling a story that's kind of in that universe-ish, but is really doing more of like an interesting character study. And I don't think in this case, it'll uh, be bad, um, but I wonder if more comics aren't going to just try and explore the universe that way rather than being the traditional punch and fight uh you know solve a mystery type um structure uh, moving on um <clears throat> this week charisma carpenter who acted on the shows buffy the vampire slayer and angel came out this week to call out the psychological and verbal abuse joss whedon aimed at her while filming the aforementioned shows uh whedon apparently passively aggressive threatened her threatened to fire her multiple times. He called her fat while she was four months pregnant. Uh, he asked her if she would be getting rid of her baby upon learning of the pregnancy and questioned her faith among many other things. Uh, Carpenter has connected this with Ray Fisher's account of Whedon's abuse on the set of Justice League as she announced that she participated in the Warner Media investigation of the accusations. Um, what was your reaction to this and how the public has responded to Carpenter's statements. Ryan, we'll start with you and then Clark. It's uh, it's the worst kept secret in Hollywood. Like everyone fucking knows that Joss Whedon is a terrible person. Um, people talk about it all the time. And the fact that Ray Fisher came out, even when Angel came out all those years ago, suddenly Charisma Carpenter was not a main cast member in the latter part of like some of the seasons. Be and so it's so funny that we're finally addressing this because we've 
we liked Buffy. We liked the first Avengers movie. We liked all these things, but like this should have happened so long ago. Like it, it's it's outrageous that we're just now calling it out. And also, like Ray Fisher said this shit. Like you just said, Brent. Like it's it's crazy that we're not even like acknowledging it until now, after people have already spoken out publicly about this shit. It's 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 so outrageous to me. And I still love those mediums of like. I love fucking Buffy, I, and it makes me so mad that this has all come to like, fruition. It, it's so fucking annoying. Clark? I will say that Cordelia was my favorite character from Agreed. Buffy and Angel, and then the fact they killed her off pissed me off so hard, and they haven't brought her back really in the comics or anything, just because the same bullshit. He probably hates her so much that he doesn't want her involved in even fucking reboot comics. But um, I... I, I love not love at all i hate the fact that the fact that just some white woman says something and now everyone's up in arms but ray fisher says something and like it's in the news but it's it's like okay and now it's like everyone's jumping in on it which is very frustrating but then the other thing is that she's giving like point by point this is what he said here this is what he did there which is frustrating that ray fisher didn't do and i think he didn't do it because he didn't want to sound you know because he's a man of color, just nitpicking everything would, you know, make people think he's a piece of shit, which is very frustrating. I don't know. The whole thing's very frustrating. And obviously this is going to do a lot more for the general cause of turning Joss Whedon into, you know, a pariah. I wish this was not where it had to get to, to get to that point. Brent. I think there is some, something certainly to be said about how, um, white voices in particular are heard more than other communities. And, <clears throat> but uh, from my perspective, like I didn't know, for example, about the allegations of Joss Whedon because I didn't follow any of his stuff and it wasn't as, you know, readily accessible, you know, as far as the internet goes when he was producing. Um, <clears throat> so like when Ray Fisher came out, it it comes out in the light of, you know, Me Too, and I think a lot of more interest in trying to be socially aware. The fact that his allegations were taken kind of with a, like with a grain of salt, like maybe these are true, we're not really sure. Is this all just a contract play? The fact that there are people even still today who think, yeah, Joss Whedon's an asshole, but Ray Fisher is too because uh, you know, he just wants to make a play for his career. And then you hear, you know, Carpenter's statements and she is cast in a better light. I think it's a very bizarre and, uh, you know, horrible part of our culture that there's a lot of people who they will still isolate this allegation. They, they'll compartmentalize it so that, you know, they could still chide someone like Fisher while, you know, raise someone like, um, um, Carpenter, you, you know, on an unfair standard when it really should be about the awful things that Joss Whedon has done and the way he's treated the people he's worked with. Uh, uh -huh. Ryan? It's, it, it's quite outrageous because uh, when she came out with this statement, Charisma Carpenter, when she came out with the statement, um, Sarah Michelle Gellar came out with something and also Michelle Trachtenberg that were in the Buffy series. And because this is not a series anymore, you can sort of reflect on it and say something. 
when Ray Fisher came out with this, they're still coming out with the Snyder Cut. They're still coming out with Avengers-related things. And I'm not blaming anyone that is in this event, oh, sorry, <laughs> so this um, uh, DC universe, but like, it's very clear that other people have thought that and he was the one to speak out about it. And that's the reason why they're not backing him up right now when this series that like Buffy is done with. So they're, they're more easily accessible to speak out on this. So it's, it's tough and it, it feels like it's very obvious why other people aren't speaking out on the Ray Fisher thing. So kudos to Charisma personally. Um, Kaylin. I'm just wondering how and um, if this will even happen, he's going to be held accountable because this is a lot more um, subtle and not to like downplay this, but it's more subtle than like what like something someone like Harvey Weinstein did or something like that, where it's not just like, you know, straight up like sexual harassment uh, or, or um, you know, uh, rape or sexual assault or anything like that. Like he's just a terrible person and he, he views his, his cast and crew as less than human uh, in order to get what he wants because he does have an HBO series that's supposed to be coming out that's like kind of like a steampunky type fantasy series and I heard nothing of whether like HBO is saying facing these allegations we're not going to do it uh, so I, I'm just I'm just very curious about if he will be held accountable Clark I mean, I would love him to be held accountable. This is an issue with a lot of, lot most of, not most of, but a lot of auteur directors kind of thing. Like I was accidentally, not even related to what we're doing now, just happened to be reading um, something about The Shining today. And just the fact that Stanley Kubrick just massacred them all the time. And she's crying like constantly and they're doing a hundred takes with like 35 minutes and Shelly Duvall. God, I don't know I said she, cause I lost her name for a minute, but um, literally 35 minutes, 35 takes in. She's crying, not because of the characters or anything, but because she's crying. Cause she knows she has to do another hundred takes of her crying. And it's just horrible. And I was also like, I was reading that like, um, Angelica Houston was dating Jack Nicholson at the time and she was like so furious at both of them for the way they were treating her even though supposedly Shelley Duvall doesn't say he's treating um, Jack Nicholson treating her bad at all but uh she and but then she's like but she did an incredible performance and she took the she carried the whole show that's the problem is that doing all this horrible shit gets good results you get a good result after so out of someone you damage to the point where Lars Van Tiers causes Bjork never to want to be in a movie again and Dancer in the Dark. She is so fucking good in it and it's a gorgeous movie, but you know that it's built on just like demoralizing and breaking a human being apart. And so it, art has to figure out what they want to do with how to get a performance out of somebody, but not destroy them. And we're to deal with certain directors doing this. It's not like they're doing this because they know it works. Yeah. Which sucks. Uh, Kalen, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to make the point about Lars von Trier, but uh, Clark went ahead and did uh, it. Um, but I, I do, I mean, I, I, I hear your point, Clark, and you work in theater, uh, so you have this experience more than any of us do. But I have to believe that there are examples of incredibly talented auteurs who don't emotionally damage their cast and crew, can still be human beings and still get phenomenal performances you know i mean like i haven't heard any stories of martin scorsese you know breaking apart his, his gas crew maybe maybe i'm wrong or wes anderson 
or um, even though he's got his own problems, someone like Quentin Tarantino, you know, um, I'm sure like someone's going to contradict me at some point and with, with some valid uh, examples, but uh, you know, um, I don't know. Uh, I got to believe that there's a better way to do it. Right? Well, there is, but we just need to, I don't know. It makes me think of the toxic male aggression culture that exists a lot in um, kitchens and high end restaurants. Um, there was a, um, there's a, a biography that, uh, an autobiography that David Chang did recently that talks about his anger um, and how he kind of like, like was really aggressive and intense in his kitchens, but he never really kind of owns up to the victims of that abuse. And there's so many stories about, um, um, you know, these really horrific chefs who are considered the top of their field and throw pans at, you know, lower level chefs or fire people or belittle them and yell at them. And it's, it's extraordinarily unhealthy. And I think in my mind, it helps kind of isolate a little bit of the problem. It's like, okay, can you make really amazing food without being incredibly abusive? And the answer is obviously yes. And I think that, you know, I've seen, you know, doing a little bit of stuff in no theater where- that question, by the way. They're, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, that's why it's kind of a silly question because we act like it's important for other forms of art. But in this case, it's instead because it's like, no, you don't need to throw a fucking frying pan at someone's head because they fucked up a, you know, a stupid dish. Um, I mean, isn't- <clears throat> Gordon Ramsay, like the most famous celebrity chef in the world right now, and half of his shtick is just screaming at people. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, um, and part of it is put on. Part of it is like part of the the entertainment, and there's like, but like, so that makes me think of like, okay, so working in theater, having seen people who are pushed by a director emotionally, there is there are there's so many degrees of consent where actors and performers you know, can accept that they might get some form of treatment that's slightly different in order to get the right performance. There is a huge, huge fucking gap to publicly berating and uh, undermining actors and, uh, you know, you know, questioning their, their choices to get pregnant or how to live their lives. That is absolutely unnecessary. It is just plain abuse. And there is no world in which we should accept um, this kind of psychological torture from any producer just because they make good content. There's plenty who do great stuff that don't resort to these kinds of tactics. Kayla? Mm-hmm. Well, for a long time, and it, it's still continuing, um, where we, uh, pop culture has lionized these types of people. I'm thinking of like House MD, for example, Hugh Laurie's show, where you had this guy who was like the best in his field in his hospital and is okay by being a complete, like they excuse him by being a misanthrope. Oh, but he's so good at what he does. Uh, you see it in, um, in, you know, in, in other, other fields, like the whole concept of anti-heroes. And like, we're just like, it, they've been given a pass for so long that um, I'm glad it's finally coming out, but I'm, I really do hope that they're held accountable. Great. Um, so, uh, on Wednesday, the actress, uh, Gina Carano was fired from her role as Cara Dune on The Mandalorian. Uh, Carano has made anti-vax and anti-trans tweets in the past, uh, but the TikTok that broke the camel's back 
was a rant that modern Republicans are like Holocaust Jews in Nazi Germany. Um, will there be any demonstrable effect uh, for losing her from the show? Uh, you know, how could something like this happen to a worse person? Uh, yeah. Clark? <laughs> her acting was, was not good anyways. Yeah. It was, it was rough from the get-go. I, I like the character in theory is what I'll say. That's well said. I mean, killing her off screen isn't a huge loss, honestly. Yeah. Like, it's if it was Grogu came out with some statements that were offensive, everyone would be up in arms. But Kara Dune, like, no one's fucking like, oh, well, who's going to carry a giant gun now? Like, no one, I, oh, Brent, you loved her. No, uh, hey, wow. no, oh, no, I was going to say that, you know, as far as TV shows go, this might be one of the best structured shows to just lose a terrible person like her because people can pop in and out of this universe whenever they want and we don't really need them. And God bless the internet because they have been coming up with some pretty funny ways of like killing her off in terms of like uh, Mandalorian season three and it just says Cara Dune crash or x-wing the end <laughs> pretty funny Caitlin? well she wasn't even supposed to be in mandalorian season three too much because they've got that spin-off show of like the uh basically the sheriff's on or the marshals like on tatooine yeah. the rangers thank you on tatooine so i'm mean, like like fucking get rid of her get get somebody else with uh, carl weathers yeah, I was reading that in November that, you know, they announced all the stuff they were going to do, Disney was going to do for the next five years. And she was supposed to be like the lead character in Rangers of whatever the fuck, New Republic. And then in December, her transphobic ones and her pro-Trump ones, and all the weird shit came out. And they're like, you know what, you're done. And then they had to, they, they were going to like, from then on, they were trying to find an excuse. And this was 100% a very valid, psychotically anti-Jewish excuse. But uh, how do you get rid of her, though? Any ideas? With, with, with the what? I mean, well, I mean, Eric like, Eric? you don't show her again on no, screen. No, I know no, that. They just never show her. Don't give her they space. Retroact they it's retroactively killed her on Alderaan in episode four. That's how they get rid of her. Oh, <laughs> yeah. she was on Alderaan, Alderaan the entire time. She time yeah. traveled. Yeah. And she blew up um, on Alderaan. <laughs> I, I want to read a tweet, and I want you to tell me who wrote it. Texan Gina Carano broke barriers in the Star Wars universe. Not a princess, not a victim, not some emotionally tortured Jedi. She played a woman who kicked ass and who girls looked up to. She was instrumental in making Star Wars fun again. Of course, Disney canceled her. I'm going to say Cruz. Yes. I'm going to say Ben Shapiro. Oh, Ted Cruz. Oh, I was going to say Ben Shapiro. It was Ted Cruz. Someone, <laughs> I someone. I was bullshitting, <laughs> so, really? So, yeah, it was Ted Cruz. Someone then wrote, my goal in life is to never do anything that gets Ted Cruz to come to my defense. And then... <laughs> And then another person says, all you have to do is marry him. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is how they're all coming for her defense and saying cancel culture, and they're going to cancel their Disney Plus subscription. Like, mm, have you thought this through? Also, I have never been more sure of anything than that I know that Ted Cruz does not watch anything related to Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, he... Uh, erroneously claimed a few weeks ago how every bad guy in like comic book and sci-fi universes is a, is a radical environmentalist and like the writer like one of the writers of Watchmen was like what the fuck are you talking about uh he called he called Thanos Thanos <laughs> his actual yeah. pronunciation 
Clark? Um, so one other thing that kind of ties in with this is this week, Pedro Pascal um, to told the public that um, his um, sister, Luce, is trans, which um, was yeah. big news. And supposedly back in November, after the whole trans issues that Gina Carano was doing on her Twitter, he like talked to her about it, like tried to get her to see fucking reason. But so shortly thereafter, she put her he, him, hers, you know, not he, him, hers, that's not really a thing, but he, him, his, et cetera, you know, that people do. And she wrote like beep, bop, boop or something just to be a complete piece of shit. Fuck off. People, people Only who make BBA fun of like pronouns. can speak like that. Only BBA can speak like that. No one else. Like, fuck off. In all seriousness, like people who make fun of like the pronoun stuff, I have zero zero tolerance for it is absolutely bullshit a thousand percent um okay so um let's go on to uh, a valentine's ish game or uh, it's i believe it's clark's got something watch out the there's a level of valentine's to it edition clark yes i'll start out so i was inadvertently on facebook about um i don't know two months ago just scrolling through you know like the videos where i watch Conan clips and random food shit. And there was this woman named Teal Swan, who is a spiritualist who had a dumb three-part game. She is, a, um, she says she's an alien from the star Arcturus and was bullied by Mormons and sewn into corpse by Satanists as a child. Mm -hmm. I'm with you, I'm with you. Really set up well. Anyways, so this game, we're not gonna play it the right way because she, I hate her. But um, <laughs> with that backstory, how could you <laughs> play this game and then halfway through dinner left because she didn't like the guy's answers? Yeah. So anyways, I'm going to start. You got your pen and paper ready. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. First, just write down your favorite X-Men. X-Man. This is not this part is not part she did, just so you know. Okay. okay. No, no, no. She didn't say that. No, no. She was asking okay. about water and stuff and talking to like. 50 year old women who wanted to better their lives but instead wanted to get into a cult okay all right so now right. write your least favorite x-man that's number two okay are you ready okay all right your number three what is your social security number <laughs> um i'll just write that in my head no no write six, it down six 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 all right yeah. number four all right so write down your favorite war and three adjectives for it. War? Yeah. As in like... <laughs> what is it good for? <laughs> this is Valentine's yeah. Day. This is Valentine's Day. Write down your favorite yeah, war. Yeah, 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 yeah. Think about the love. The Star War call count? Yeah. All right, now you got that? You got your... Wait, no, 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 no. I don't got that. <laughs> I've got <laughs> to write down my favorite... I've got to write down my favorite war and then three adjectives for it. That's why you why you like it. <laughs> what, is, what does it mean to have a favorite war? Most ignorant. I, I, I think you know. <laughs> I guess I like the Peloponnesian War. It was old. Um, okay, yeah. Right no, 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 but we're not asking for answers. Clark, continue. All right. Uh, Brad has to finish. Okay, hold on. All right. All right. Write down your first pet, your street in which you were grew up, your mother's maiden name, and your favorite elementary school teacher. Okay, I got it. I don't remember my elementary school teachers. 
write down um, if you had a four digit pin, what it would be. And then if you had a six digit pin, write down what it would be. No. Uh, Are you a Nigerian um, prince? What's happening, Clark? <laughs> yeah, seriously. What? <laughs> I'm writing right, down my right address. Down. Hey, I've, never, I've never seen a bot on a podcast before, but I mean, here we are. <laughs> These are the questions that Teal Swan did ask. <laughs> hey, folks, play this game at home. <laughs> yeah. What, what uh, tweet out your answer. Tweet out your favorite answers to us. <laughs> Wait, wait, Clark, Clark. So yeah. it's if if I've got a pen, I'm writing that down, but also my address. Yeah, write it all. Yeah, right. Okay. So it was your pet name, the street you grew up on, your mother's maiden name, and your elementary, your favorite elementary school teacher. And then four and a four and a six-digit pin. Yes. All right. Um, next, write down an animal, write down three adjectives about it. Wait, what animal? Any animal, an animal you like, an animal, yeah. Just what, what animal, whatever animal you want to. Right. All this right. Is, this is the so this is the medium for the, oh, filling out a quiz. Yeah, <laughs> and then finally write down a number between forty-five and fifty-five. Inclusive? Can I do forty-five or fifty-five? Yes, you can write those. You can 45 through 55, including those two numbers. I think I have all the right answers. All right, are we ready? Mm -hmm. This right. is the best BuzzFeed quiz everyone, ever. Everyone save your favorite X-Man. Uh, Emma Frost. Magneto. All right, um, that is what you think about yourself. You see yourself as that kind of personality. That makes sense, yes? Yeah. All right. Yeah, sure. Um, everyone say your least favorite X-Man. Jubilee. Maggot. All right, that's how everyone else sees you. Oh, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> wow, well, wait, okay. So let's say that, go through these again. Kim, which is yours? Marrow. Uh, what's Marrow do? Not Marrow? Okay, I agree. Yeah. She throws her bones. No, she, bones she throws her bones. Him. Yeah. And Ryan, you chose Maggot? Mm-hmm. You just oh, got- I see it, and I chose Jubilee. Stomachs? Yeah, you're not that positive. Right. Let's continue. Oh, I assumed I assumed it was because uh, I thought I was more useful than I am. <laughs> I thought it was because you too. wear weird jackets, but it continued. No, Clark. Um, so uh, security number is uh, just for me to steal your identity. Um, Perfect. Okay. So, what are your favorite? Well, give me three adjectives about war. The actual war doesn't matter if you want to say it. That was just oh, wait. You, okay, my, don't you my want least, my least favorite war was the war on drugs. Uh -huh. Or my most favorite, sorry. Yes. Because it, I, like, I've been participating in it for years, honestly. Still what, am. What, are your, what were your adjectives? Sexy. Fun. Okay. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Kaylin? Mine, were the, mine was the War of the Roses. It was long, long bloody, and pointless. Okay. I chose uh, World War I because it was hopeless, trenchy, and gay. Oh, those are good. Okay, so according to me, what you wrote about war is what you think about sex. Yeah, okay. Long, bloody, and boilers. Great. Yeah. What was yours, what was yours again, Brent? Trenchy. Ho hopeless, trenchy, and gay. <laughs> That's so that good. Explains, that explains your marriage. Brian's is so positive, though. Yeah. Sex is sexy. Okay. Well. <laughs> okay, the other ones were about me stealing your identity. 
And uh, the next one was um, animal and three adjectives about it. Uh, okay. So I picked I... the sloth. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You picked the sloth. Go. Cute, sleepy, smiley. Brent? I picked the giraffe, uh, stupid, tall, Adam-like. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, well, sometimes what we see in other people is what we see <laughs> wait, in ourselves. Wait, did you hear Clark, did you hear Clark go, whisper to himself, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I chose a cat, and I said, furry, yet elusive. Okay. Um, and in my version, that is the kind of porn you watch. Brent watches yeah. Adam like porn. Mm -hmm. A lot nice. of screaming. Yeah, yeah. Ryan likes some furry, elusive porn, and I forgot yeah, Kayla, no. what you like. I love a story. Line. I wrote, I wrote, cute, sleepy, smiley. So there's just two guys cuddling. No, that's sweet. All right, and the final thing is, um, give me the number between forty-five and fifty-five, please. Forty-seven. Fifty-three. Forty-two. All right, uh, forty-two. That's that not between us. Well, wait, so, <laughs> no, 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 it's fine because um, that's how old you are when you die. Oh, okay, great. Oh, well, I only got a few years left. All right, longer than I thought. Okay. And, and, well, Clark, that, is that when you're going to kill us? That's it. That's yeah, 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 yeah. I'm glad I can kill Ryan uh, earlier uh, than I thought. That's it. My social security number was three seven eight four four five one nine four. Is that uh, what you wanted, right? Yeah. yeah okay. Thank you. Uh, well, that's Clark something, sort of Valentine's edition, kind of. Yeah. All right, let's do some comics real quick. Comics, Kalen. Kalen. So we had five issues that come out came out this week, three in Reign of X, uh, one for King and Black, and one that's a wild card, which is, we'll get into that in a second. But the, um, the Reign of X books, Excalibur number 18, Sword number three, X-Force number 17, Teeny Howard and Marcus Toe did Excalibur, uh, Al Ewing, Bernard Chang did Sword number three, and Benjamin Percy and Joshua Kassara did X-Force number 17. Um, I'll talk about these like in kind of in tandem because these were what I call like in between quieter issues. Excalibur, uh, we saw Betsy allegedly come back at the end of last issue. The Excalibur team isn't really sure if it's her. They're kind of keeping it on the DL. Emma finds out, she's pissed. Captain Avalon finds out. He's like, I don't think that's her. Gambit makes a little trip over to uh, Avalon to try to get some intel from Jamie Braddock. Um, but uh, clearly something's, something's not right over in the lighthouse. And at the very end, Quinon comes in to uh, basically tell them, y'all are all stupid. You just need another Psylocke to help you figure this out. Um, in sword number three, it is a, uh, a a spotlight on Manifold, who is one of my favorite characters. He's one of Jonathan Hickman's creations from Secret Warriors and was in on his Avengers team. And uh, what I really loved about this is it delves into the greater tapestry that is Marvel Universe because it deals with the Snark War, uh, which I fucking love the description of the War of Succession there, um, as well as the fact that... Um, Manifold has been uh, spying on Peter Gyrick, who's the head of Alpha Flight and is a part of Orcus. Uh, so uh, bringing back some elements from House of X and Powers of 10. And X-Force number 17 is a spotlight on Kid Omega, AKA Quentin Quire, as he goes on a date with one of the cuckoos. Um, and he recounts every time he died. 
uh, and they deal with a uh, this like I believe it's called the Sapiens, the Sapien, uh, where they're trying. They are basically doing a kind of a uh, a psyops like mission to discredit the Krakoan mutants, which I thought was really really smart. Uh, we also see the uh, reemergence of one of our favorite recurring characters, Jumbo Carnation, uh, who is getting possessed by Zeno, which has been one of the perennial villains in X-Force. So um, what did you guys think of these three books? Uh, what did you like? What did you not like? Clark? I mean, I, I, I absolutely loved S.W.O.R.D. I just hate, I knew as soon as it happened, I was going to be so ang angry. Like, you know, when Gyrick was like, as soon as Manifold leaves, he's like, oh, there's a, there's a, we have a spy among sword. And you're like, you could wait another fucking second and listen to that. It pissed me off so hard and almost made me not like the book. Um, <laughs> it's just so tropey and wait, shitty. Did you not dislike, did you not dislike when Manifold could have waited five more seconds to listen that's to that guy I'm about Orcus, but he like just, oh, okay. Oh yeah, wait, no, I'm that was that guy. I thought it was the snark guy. No, no, Gyrick, when he is, yeah, he was, you know, talking about Orcus and everything, and then right as Manifold boops down, he's he's like, and then, yeah, we've we oh, got you're right, you're right. in the midst of, of, of S.W.O.R.D., and I'm like, Fuck. also, I hate a spy in the midst of blah, blah, blahs, it's boring as hell, but anyways, it's excellent, excellently written besides that, and I love Manifold. Right, right. Uh, this, the second that they said he doesn't teleport, I'm like, oh, so he's been, he bends space around him. I'm glad that the execution of that included that the light bends around him so he would not be able to see anything because no light is hitting his eyeballs. So he has to cut a hole in the space to look through. Loved it. Ryan? I know you did. As soon as I read it, I was like, Brett loves this. Um, with that in mind, um, X-Force, I really enjoyed. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was fun, actually. Um, I liked the the call out of like uh, Quentin Quire needs a both X-Men name and a costume because he just basically wears weird t-shirts. So I, I like the characterization of that and moving forward with that. Uh, just Jaylen. kind of like, uh, I, I like that as well, but I remembered in his early, early appearances uh, when Grant Morrison was writing new X-Men, he, he wanted, well, sure, he wanted to say no to human fashion and human looks. And so, he had um, Jumbo Carnation or someone like it, like redesign like his look based on what uh, the mutant panic uh, looked like in like the early 60s. Uh, like it was that that like horizontal stripe, like kind of like sweater vest with like the like the, almost like the fitted cargo pants. And then he had like the, you know, like his existing haircut. And so the fact that he kind of uh, reverted or regressed to just wearing like a hoodie and like jeans and you know, uh, it's Esme who he's dating, right? Uh, I always forget Phoebe. which cuckoo. Phoebe. Uh, I always forget which cuckoo. Phoebe. Phoebe basically says, mm, you know, you're cute and all. I like you, but we can zhuzh up your look a little bit. Um, and I like, I liked all the panels of him like going through like too clingy, too post-apocalyptic, and then like the one where he's like dressed up like Wolverine, too mentory. Uh, oh, I, I thought that was, I thought it was really clever. I thought you were gonna say the naked one where he says too pee pee. Oh, I like that one too. Good. That was good. That was um. Yeah. I don't know about that one. I love that one. Two yeah. people. Brent, talk about um, how much you love Excalibur, real quick. It's kind of like a. It's like a car that keeps stopping and starting. And so, like, okay, we 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 kind of criticized it a little bit last issue because 
it felt like everything was rushed. And then you find out that this isn't really Betsy. It's like some kind of imposter. And it's like, okay, well, is, there are better ways to build your story out than this. I mean, there's some character stuff that I enjoyed, like Jamie uh, uh, Braddock being fucking nuts still. And um, the relationship between uh, Apocalypse and Richter is still an ongoing serious thing. Uh, the reason why Apocalypse has some connection to Richter, I think, you know, kind of makes a little bit more sense about feeling Krakoa for what it is. Um, I like a lot, but it, it, it's so uneven of a way of getting through um, this portion of the X-Men. Uh, Kaylin. Uh, I'm starting to like the rhythm of Excalibur a lot more. I feel like I'm going to be the dissenting voice on this podcast about that. Um, I recognized Teeny's flaws, and I feel like some of the characters are interchangeable. The The thing that made me really like the book is when Richter was talking about how he has, like, learning from Apocalypse, or, you know, the symbol that was formerly known as Apocalypse, and how um, mutants have to find better ways to work with one another, and it was in one of the infographics of a previous issue that talked about like building on the concept of the fastball special and how uh, you ultimately get to how the five use their powers in tandem with one another to do the whole resurrection protocols. I like that like the writers are thinking a lot more smartly about untap the end untapped potential of these characters so they're not just using their powers in isolation, but how they are as part of a team and as part of mutant society. Right. I, I would agree. I, I I am enjoying Excalibur more, but I'd be in the same boat uh, because I do think the ideas, like we always talk about, are good, but it's just the characterizations, like you said, are off a lot of the times. Um, but I, I'm, I'm constantly interested to know what's happening going forward because it's so clear that Teeny is so ingrained with the future of the X-Men that you have to be on board a little bit because you're going to be left in the dust if you're not. So I completely agree with you, Kayla. Um, I've gone to the Art. point where Jubilee should not be in this book. Gamut and Rogue should not be in this book. They don't matter. They don't, their voices don't seem right. Rogue being the best friend ish character of um, Betsy is idiotic and makes no sense. And it just, we don't we've never seen them together enough in the last 40 years for it to feel organic at all like she's talking about how close she is i'm like there, there has to be somebody better to put in this spot because it's and she's kind of the leader now the whole it's just those three feel so off that there are some great stuff the richter stuff has finally gotten really good and everybody related to betsy except for betsy right now is doing really well i do love <laughs> <laughs> both of her brothers at the moment until she becomes her actual self hopefully she's good again but those three are just waste of space and the fact that two or three of them take up so much space um is an issue completely agree all right so moving on to our next two books uh king and black thunderbolts number two we see that the team is still continuing on their quest to find the sentry uh they go through uh ravencroft which is marvel's answer uh Arkham Asylum. There's some shenanigans with Norman Osborn, who's acting more normcore than usual. Um, and there's just like a lot of like lovely interaction. Uh, and um, I, I love that Batrock uh, said that I should have gone with the hippopotamus. Every time he refers to Rhino's hippopotamus, it just makes me smile. It's just delightful. Completely agree. 
Um, also, I will start using casually in conversation when something that looks weird and uncomfortable, I'm just going to start calling it drippy like they do in this comic because it's so fun to say. I love it so much. It's a great comic and like I wish this went a little bit longer and it was more of an ongoing because it's it's super fun. I mean, this could yeah, be a would... backdoor miniseries. Totally. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. My favorite panel, uh, I'll say really quickly, is the image of the nullified deer in the middle of the road. I was like, <laughs> what a goofy so and creepy image. It was so well done. I just wanted then, some commentary to be like, hey, did you know that was a Venom? And they're like, oh, no, because <laughs> they're all fucking villains. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Brett. Yeah. Hey guys, we're being attacked by uh, an alien symbiote. They're swarming us. Quick, what do we do? Put on some masks and capes. <laughs> so trippy of Clark. you. I just, I like how this whole thing was to go find um, Sentry's corpse and now they have to find parts of Sentry's corpse. Yeah. <laughs> like, they just like yeah. drag half a body around with them. It's so, I like this a lot. It's, it's the best the Sentry's ever been and it's only yeah. his bottom half. Um, which is his best act. Uh, I will say really quickly, because this was a King in the Black, King in Black um, uh, tie-in, as was Sword, number three was a, was a tie-in too, uh, but it was the tie-in in the best way. And I want to contrast that with Marauder's uh, King in Black from last week, which was like a one-shot that had little to nothing to do with the crossover. I was like, I don't even understand this. Whereas, like, obviously Thunderbolts is really well done, but Sword being like referencing uh, Null through the uh, the lens of the Snark War was so fucking great. I was like, this is exactly like how a crossover should be done. And I feel like Marvel right now hasn't been this sort of integrated since like maybe the like late 80s or early 90s. Just, just a quick thing, when we were going back to the Guardians for a minute, Ewing has changed a lot of his plans so that it dovetails with um, with sword, sword a lot more he said that he originally had like a very sad and dark storyline but now it's good it's like much more upbeat so it can connect with sword i love it uh now i just want him to take over fantastic four and just give him the entire cosmic part of marvel i think that would be fantastic no pun intended uh <laughs> and then the last book we read this week was eternal number two by kieran gillen and isad ribic it is a beautiful looking book isad ribic like deserves every award and it is well-written, um, but it's mostly just a giant fight between Icarus and Thanos, a character that I have gotten just kind of bored with in recent uh -huh. years. Um, even though he does have uh, a tie-in with Eternals, he is uh, like an Eternal from the planet Titan, so he's called a Titan. Um, the only part of the book I really enjoyed is when Cersei came on the scene, you know, being very, very like, Emma Frosty in, in her way. It's uh, not an interpretation I have seen before, but it's one that I like. But I feel like something else, something else has to grab me in this book and I'm not quite finding it yet. Clark? I almost feel like I like the infographics and stuff better than the book. <laughs> I, just, I don't like what's happening. I, I like the little, you know, like give me the history of them, but I don't really care about what's happening currently to them. Yeah. I, I can understand that. And it does feel like another Eternals book that probably is best read when you receive all of it in one bundle together. And it like, a, like it doesn't, issue to issue, it's going to be tough, I feel like. But yeah. God damn, is it beautiful. It's so pretty. Yeah. Brent? Yeah, I, I like the, the, the planetary perspective 
that's kind of the ongoing narrative. But um, it certainly feels like a, a history test I haven't studied for when I'm trying to get through all of the names and stories and who the fuck is to um, as it's going on. Like yeah. the infographics hurt more than they help. I guess because I know, it's, yeah, all right. Yeah, I just, I, I've never been able to get the into the Eternals, not when Jack Kirby did it, not when Neil Gaiman did it. Certainly, not, again, I, I'm, I was hoping Kieran Gillen could help break that curse for me, but that hasn't happened yet. Well, those are the comics this week. All right, Brad, that's been our episode. So you can find us on uh, the following plat- platforms. According to Ryan Crawl, we're on Twitter at Homo Superior X, Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast, and not Facebook. We've been Homo Superior. Tell us your favorite social security numbers and what mutant you see yourself as sexually. Bye. Bye. Bye.